Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The next legislative session of the Connecticut General Assembly begins February 5th. But lawmakers could be meeting later this month to vote on a transportation plan that, yes, includes tolls. Today, where we live, we talked to the man behind the push for the return of tolling in Connecticut, Governor Ned Lamont. To be clear, the governor's multi-billion dollar transportation plan is more than just tolls, but tolls have dominated the political conversation since 2018, when Ned Lamont ran for governor. Now, we also want to ask Governor Lamont this hour about his other priorities, and we want to take your questions, too. You can join our conversation on air, the number 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. We're also on Facebook Live today. You can just search Where We Live, add your comment under the video stream, and you can also tweet us at Where We Live. I want to welcome Governor Ned Lamont back to our studio. Thanks for coming in. Good morning, Lucy. I understand this week, uh, one year ago, you were actually sworn in as the uh, state's, uh, I think, 89th governor. How are you feeling so far? It was a heck of a year. (laughs) Uh, Your life changes overnight. I mean, you know, the day of that election, I remember I woke up and um, I didn't know whether you'd won or lost, but in came um, the security detail. That sort of implied uh, we had won. And, um, you know, you've got 90 days to put together a government and uh, make sure you have a budget address ready to go in February. So, you know, I'm out of the business world where you put together a business plan and it's a little more methodical. This was um, this was a pretty good brisk pace and I loved every second of it. How would you rate the work that you've done uh, this year? Pretty good. We got some work to do. Look, uh, remember two or three years ago, GE, less, woe was me, last went out, turn out the lights. They didn't get a budget done until October. There was a rating downgrade facing a big looming deficit. So, you know, we had some work to do. You know, if I saw for world peace, no, but we we got the budget done on time. Uh, we did it without uh, raising taxes. Uh, we've got a new relationship with the business community and, uh, you know, making them champions for the state, not detractors, uh, working well with our state employees, uh, making the reforms we need, innovate, and uh, get ourselves a lot more efficient. We got a bunch of folks who are retiring in the next two or three years, we've got to figure out how we uh, make this work. Uh, when I um, asked you about the, the last year, you know, much of uh, your first year in office uh, was focused on tolls. And we're here today, a year later, and you're still trying to get uh, tolls as part, again, of this multi-billion dollar transportation plan. Uh, my producer had a, a good term for this, that you have really had an uh, evolution on tolls. And I want to remind our listeners and viewers, uh, back when you were running for governor, you uh, were supporting truck-only tolls. Um, then in February, of 2019, after you were sworn in, uh, you put out a weekend opinion uh, piece that you switched your tact and you wanted to toll all vehicles, meaning uh, trucks and cars. Uh, In April of last year, uh, the plan was 50 gantries on highways around the state. Uh, Come this November, uh, you were trying to uh, pare down uh, the locations, but still 
fixating on tolling all vehicles in Connecticut. And now we're back to toll-only trucks at 12 locations around the state. Um, you can see why uh, voters, uh, residents are frustrated uh, with uh, your strategy. Tell us why you want to see tolls return to Connecticut and why have you switched so much over the last year? I think I'd rephrase that question 100%. Um, I came into office. We said, let's transform our transportation system 30, 30, 30, 30 minutes to New Haven, 30 minutes to Stanford, New York. If you want to get this economy growing again, we haven't added a new job in a generation. This is what we've got to do. And it's um, a little more expensive, uh, but I think it's worth the effort. Frankly, um, the Republicans came to the table as well, and they said, we've got to do more than we had anticipated. So you're right. I put forward a plan with 50 gantries on um, trucks as well as cars that would raise us, you know, about $700 million a year. And the Republicans came forward with a plan that would borrow $700 million a year off of the uh, state's credit card. That was a bridge too far for both of us. I think the voters didn't like, uh, I thought that they think it was probably we're trying to do too much too fast. Did you, obviously, did you think that, that you were doing too much too fast? No. The world I come from, I want to do things. I want to get it done. I want to get this state moving again and fixing our transportation system, speeding up our rail, getting a regional airport is key to economic development. But look, I'm not a CEO. I'm there with the legislature. Uh, you know, from there, um, both the Republicans and I scaled back our expectations. As you point out, I'm, you know, it's a negotiation. I wanted to do something on a bipartisan basis any way I could. And uh, we went for many fewer gantries, um, you know, less electronic tolling, but enough for us to fix the problem. And the Republicans, as you probably remember, came forward with a plan to uh, take money from the rainy day fund, which I thought was a lousy idea. And we can talk about that if you want. It's never tolls or no tolls. It's tolls or borrowing. Tolls are taking from the rainy day fund. And now we have a plan which is a, a modified. It's where we started off, to your bigger point, trucks only gives us enough to uh, make the basic repairs, bring our roads and bridges to a state of good repair, slowly speed up our rail service, and, spe and, and fix our special transportation fund, which is going bankrupt. You know, you inherit a problem. In my world, I solve it. And uh, if you have a better way to solve it, let me know what it is. But to me, doing nothing is not a solution. Did you anticipate uh, how uh, residents in the state would be against uh, tolling? Now, there's a significant uh, number of residents who have been voicing their concern, and they really are suspicious of the fact that even though um, if tolls were approved and you say it's going to be allocated towards transportation projects, they look to the past and they don't trust lawmakers. How do you resolve that, Governor? Well, first of all, that I ever think it was going to be easy? No, I'm asking people to pay for something. Uh, that is, um, that's tough. We, we've been addicted to debt in this state going back 40 years. And everybody thinks, oh, that's free money. I, I can borrow it and don't have to worry about it for now. We've done that on our pensions. We've done that in transportation. You know, we've done that on bonding. Um, but I've got to convince everybody to your bigger point, Lucy. Oh, I, it's a good idea. I know what the government wants to accomplish. I think it's probably the right way to go. But I don't trust government or I don't trust the next legislature. And, and what happens if uh, we toll trucks today and cars tomorrow? And my answer to that is several. One, legislature has no appetite to you know, do anything with cars. That's just um, too tough. So that's off the table. But more importantly, we're going to borrow money at the least cost almost in uh, modern history from the Trump Department of Transportation. 
right right into that bond agreement that this can only be paid for by trucks only tolling. So I can give people legal certainty as well as political confidence that uh, what we say we're going to do is what we do. Uh, you mentioned that um, you can uh, put in this bond uh, agreement that it would only be for trucks only tolls. Uh, you said that the legislature doesn't have an appetite to put these on cars, but uh, all these seats in the General Assembly will be up um, in 2020 and uh, these people filling these seats change. So the, in, in the long term, could Connecticut residents see tolls on cars if they allow, if the lawmakers allow tolls on trucks? Explain again how you could avoid that from happening? We're going to have a – we borrow money from the Federal Department of Transportation at historically low rates. They're willing to give us the money up front, Lucy, so we can get started on fixing the uh, viaducts, speeding up the rail, getting shoreline east uh, back where it ought to be, bringing in new rail cars. They'll give us money up front now in anticipation of the toll revenue um, you know, coming in in uh, two or three years. And um, you're right. There's a law. It's a contract. The contract will very strictly say trucks only. Uh, uh, we want to take some calls now. Again, we're on Facebook Live today. Search where we live and add your question below that video stream. The number to call in, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Alyssa's calling from Ridgefield. Alyssa, you're on the show. What's your question for Governor Lamont? Hi. Um, first, I just wanted to say thank you, and I, I think that it would be really important for you to get the message out a little more. What you're doing right now is, is good, but right now, Connecticut taxpayers pay 100% of our transportation maintenance cost, and I know people are looking at this as a tax, and it's really not because it's, a, you know, we pay for wear and tear on the roads, and these big trucks that come through, one truck, I think, of the medium and heavy class does like 5000 to the same the same wear and tear on our road, and wear and tear implies user fee kind of thing, um, as as uh, five thousand to ten thousand cars. And I want to know what you're going to do to get that message out as well to really help people understand that right now, like these bridges, I think it's three hundred and thirty three that are in really awful state of repair, and we drive over these. They're overpasses. They're everything. We drive over every single day, and I think people really need to understand that. Our, our safety and security for all of us is is in jeopardy if we don't take care of this. And tolls is the only option so far that anyone has proposed that brings in a, a new stream of revenue. And like you were saying, you know, if we don't have a new stream of revenue, we have to either add additional taxes or cut important key services, which people are not going to be happy with either. So Alyssa, you, go yeah. ahead. Um, so you support tolls, but what do you want to hear from the governor in terms of, of his plan, his transportation plan? What's the exact question? I want to hear um, what he's going to do to make sure that um, the roads get prioritized in terms of what gets fixed and how. Uh, sorry, I'm just nervous right now. I, I got your um, question. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, obviously, I like it. Um, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Everybody out there says we've got um, a high percentage of our bridges, quote, not in the state of good repair. I got the Trump Department of Transportation that says, Lamont, you come up with a plan to bring them into a state of good repair or you're going to be penalized. And, um, and I've got the, the truckers are on board, the Teamsters, the guys who drive the trucks. They're on board saying um, it's a wear and tear on our trucks and it's, uh, we're feeling a little nervous going over some of these bridges. So we support this plan going forward. 
to your uh, but to your bigger point, um, if I can. Well, before you, you said that the truckers are supporting your plan. I thought that they're against the trucks only tolls. These are the guys who drive the trucks. I can't talk about you know the uh, the companies, but the Teamsters uh, are supportive of what we're trying to do, and they're supportive of how we want to pay for it because they want these roads and bridges brought to a state of good repair. Um, to you know, Lisa's other point, okay, yeah, the big tractor trailers, which is the only ones we're talking about, do do most of the wear and tear by far on our roads and bridges. So there's a certain fairness issue that they should pay, um, you know, for that. And, and as finally as you point out, the Republican plans of more borrowing or taken from the rainy day fund, that's 100 percent paid for by the uh, taxpayers of the state of Connecticut. And uh, at least we have a plan where we get the low cost federal financing coupled with um, out of state trucker revenues, which will pay for a significant portion of what we got to do. Uh, tell us exactly under your transportation plan, how much money would the state of Connecticut get if trucks only tolling is approved? $186 million a year. Now, how much would that pay for uh, in the grand scheme of things when you're talking about improving roads and bridges uh, that uh, are in dire need of repair? And also, uh, when you think about a transportation plan that's not just focusing on highways, uh, what in this plan, if you get this uh, tolling revenue, that would support more transit options to get people out of cars, Governor Lamont? Well, two things. A, it, um, it frees up transportation money so we can really make an investment in rail, which is where I think you're going uh, to. Uh, the investment in rail would be several fold. We straighten out the tracks. We work on the signalization. We modernize that. And finally, we fix some of those 90-year-old bridges where trains have to slow to a crawl. Then they accelerate once they're on the backside of it. So that brings safety as well as uh, speeds up uh, the transportation. You know, we're not going to get the 30-30-30. That was expensive, but we'll get the 40-40-40, and that makes a big difference. Um, uh, does your transportation plan also include widening the highways? No. I, I think that was not the right way to go. Um, we don't really have a highway capacity problem. What we have, Lucy, is, um, you know, a dozen-plus choke points where you have an exit on the 7, an exit on the Route 8. It backs up for a mile or two. And that's what congests the uh, traffic. You probably saw an I-84 going from Waterbury uh, back to Hartford. Uh, they did a little bit of an expansion and fixed the exit there. And it speeded up transportation by about 25 minutes a day in each direction. Uh, someone is writing on uh, Twitter, you know, why does the governor feel that drivers all over Connecticut should pay user fees or tolls on the roads to pay for train upgrades in Fairfield County to get mostly high income earners to New York City a few minutes faster? We know it's all about the trains as toll money can go for any form of transit. How do you respond? Well, first of all, drivers all over Connecticut, uh, that, that questioner is referring to truckers. Uh, many of whom are out-of-state truckers. Obviously, it's not individual drivers. You're maybe then asking, why should these truckers, why should that money go to rail as well as fixing um, those choke points on our highways? And I'll tell you, um, it's getting harder and harder and harder to get people to work. And every business leader I talk to said a priority for me is to fix your transportation system. And that means not only uh, correcting the choke points on our highways, some of them here, you know, the um, Mixmaster Viaduct right here in Hartford, as well as rail. Rail includes Shoreline East and Waterbury, by the way. 
Waterbury's become a bit of a dead end right now because you have such irregular rail service. If I can double the capacity and speed up that rail, I think you see the whole Naugatuck Valley come to life. So this is a statewide initiative that I think is transformative, not tomorrow, but over the next decade. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677, as we talk to Governor Ned Lamont. Uh, Brenna is calling from West Hartford. Brenna, what's your question? Hi, thanks. Um, so I heard you say earlier on the show that you could ensure legally that it would be the tolls would be for trucks only, not for cars. But I know that there is a case in Rhode Island that is questioning the constitutionality of truck only tolls. And if that case doesn't go right, and, and you know, Connecticut then has bonded or, or we've gotten a loan for $1.5 billion to you know, have these truck only tolls, but now they're unconstitutional. You know, what's the plan to pay back that money or, or how, would, how would we deal with that? Uh, that's a, a fair question, Brett. Uh, first of all, that everybody's suing everybody in state government as far as I can figure out. And to your point, the truck companies has sued the state of Rhode Island. This is a suit that goes back years uh, because they have trucks only tolling on big tractor trailers, almost exactly what we're trying to do here. Um, uh, Gina Raimondo and the legal department there um, feel very confident that this is going to get through and they don't have to worry about it. We're not going to have any of our electronic gantries up for at least a couple of years, so we'll have a better idea of uh, the nature of that. I feel very confident that uh, the Trump administration continues to make all necessary payments to Rhode Island. There's been no penalty for what they're doing. Um, So I think this is the best way to go. Jackie's calling from East Hartford on where we live. Jackie, what's your question for Governor Lamont? Hi, um, I'm actually from West Hartford. Hi, Governor. I just wanted to, first of all, I'm an unaffiliated voter, and I am really supportive of what you're doing. I, I like what I'm seeing so far. Um, I'm also very impressed that you actually know what's happening in the state and our roads. I love it. Um, I also really like what you're doing with the New Britain Data Center. You seem to be trying to modernize our state, so thank you. Regarding your transportation, um, my daughter takes the train, CT Rail, every day from our house uh, to Wallingford, and she loves it. And um, I just want you to know that that thing is full every day. We need more, and I'd like your thoughts about um, what your view is um, in terms of modernizing our state and making us more business-friendly. I know you're not, you're not for raising taxes. You're not for increasing our tax burden. You're actually on the other side of the ledger, which is growing our state, which I love. So um, I'd like to hear more about the rail, CT rail in particular, and I, I really think that that is the, the future, like you said to open us up for more business and allow people to work in different parts of the state. And uh, like I said, my daughter going to Wallingford every day, she loves the train and um, she's a big supporter of yours. And um, I, again, as an unaffiliated voter, um, I like you. All right, you're, Jackie. You're, let's, you're impressing me. Oh, no, Jackie, let Jackie keep no, no, going. No, no, this Jackie, is okay. <laughs> we'll let Governor Lamont answer your question about uh, you know, expanding uh, a CT rail. Um, no, thank you, uh, Jackie. And, and say hi to your daughter for me. Um, look, Every time we get somebody in the CT rail, that's one less car on the highway. So that previous person has said, oh, this is about rail, not about expanding roads for me. We are, we're fixing both problems uh, by uh, getting more people uh, taking public transportation. And I might add a lot less uh, gridlock means a lot less exhaust, which means a lot less environmental damage. 
and a few less cars on our highway are a big piece of that as well. Uh, Jackie, let me just pivot for a second because you mentioned the New Britain Data Center. And I think it's worth talking about where the state is going when it comes to, um, you know, we had the old Stanley Black and Decker. It goes for acres and acres. It's all um, really old um, you know, rusted out buildings. Uh, they haven't been occupied in a generation. It was going to cost us um, tens of millions of dollars to remediate and take down and get ready. And we found an answer there. We're going to turn that into an electronic data center with servers that is able to position Connecticut to have the highest speed data access in the country. And um, we were able to do that within the existing footprint, within those existing buildings. Uh, you know, I, I joked when I went there, I said I thought the cloud was more heavenly than this. Here we were in this old manufacturing facility with servers and um, fuel cell batteries uh, made in Connecticut. And one last plug back to data and uh, our railroads. Um, you maybe saw yesterday we've announced that uh, uh, Metro North is going to be the first uh, 4G rail service and and certainly the first 5G rail service uh, within a year or so. And that means you're not wasting your time sitting in rail, but you're actually able to take your office electronically with you on your way. I wanted to uh, go back to uh, emissions uh, because you alluded to this, but mm. transportation is a source of nearly 40 percent of Connecticut's greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, Connecticut is part of this uh, regional transportation and carbon initiative known as TCI. Um, this initiative is looking at increasing the gas tax to disincentivize driving and reinvest in public transit. Where do you stand on increases in, again, the gas tax to get there? What I stand is uh, doing everything I can to promote public transportation, get people out of cars to your, you know, bigger point. Um, you know, cars and trucks, trucks in a big way, you know, represent about uh, 40 percent of our uh, emissions out there. So that's why this transportation initiative is so important for me. At the same time, as you point out, a lot of the regional governors are looking at the TCI Transportation Climate Initiative which includes penalties for those that emit a lot in transportation and credits for those who uh, use public transportation, these monies to make that easier. Um, I, look, one step at a time. I'm focused right now solely on doing this in terms of transportation. And I got to tell you, raising the gas tax, which frankly is, you know, what other states, mainly Republican states, have done to pay for transportation um, – uh, I, I think is 100% paid for by Connecticut residents and um, and probably not the way to go where people are already moving away from gasoline. You want to know why we have a other big problem in our special transportation fund? It's not just that we have 90-year-old bridges that are more and more expensive to maintain, but we have fewer and fewer people driving gas guzzlers. Thank God. So it sounds like you cannot commit to Connecticut raising the gas tax because your priority is to get your transportation plan forward, which includes tolling. You want to make sure that tolling trucks only gets through. You can't, you can't uh, support a, an increase of gas tax at this time. The tolling gets us where we've got to go, and it sure beats borrowing, which is the other alternative on the table. I want to take one more uh, question before we head to break. Uh, Ben's calling from Wallingford. Uh, ben, what is your question for Governor Lamont? Um, thanks for taking the call. Hey, I was ben. just... Uh, I'm Glad to hear the governor talk about reducing emissions and environmental concerns. And I was hoping among those environmental concerns that he would be stopping the Killingly gas plant, which would put more emissions into the air. So I would just like to hear what he has to say about stopping gas projects like Killingly 
and the new one that's happening in at the ESPN campus. At the ESPN campus? Yes. Boy, I don't know about that one. Um, Hey, look. Your your, your deep department is having a hearing on it tonight. Okay. Here's what I think. I think that um, I am going to move this state aggressively to um, renewable um, energy sources that um, have zero carbon impact. Um, I've got um, probably 10 or 12 years left on Millstone. I think that's enough. It's an old plant. We just made the biggest acquisition of wind power in the history of the state. And I did it in collaboration with Rhode Island and Massachusetts. So we also got the lowest published prices for wind power anywhere in the country. That's where I think we've got to go. That's our priority to get off of fossil fuels. Uh, the Killingly plant um, in Killingly, that's some regional initiative that um, uh, our regional governors uh, through their association are, are promoting and I'm skeptical about it. I'm skeptical about it because I've got zero emissions uh, on our grid starting in 2040. I want to see my fellow governors do that. I'm making the commitment to wind power so we can get off of um, fossil fuels. So um, I need a lot of persuasion there. Before we head to break, uh, again, where does your transportation plan stand before the General Assembly? I believe both parties are caucusing today. Um, you're hoping for a special session before the end of the month uh, to get this transportation plan voted on? Yeah, the uh, Senate, House, and Democrats um, are, are caucusing today. I, I can't speak for the Republicans. They've, um, uh, they've. Je- I don't think they're caucusing on prioritized progress or taking money out of the rainy day fund. But I, I wish they would, so I know where they stand. Um, I think we're going to get some sort of an indication by the end of the day where the Democrats stand in the caucus, and then it's up to the legislative leadership to set a time for a vote. We got to do this vote because um, I've also got to get a bond bill passed. If uh, you know, if we're going to borrow seven hundred million dollars a year under prioritized progress for bonding, that was going to crowd out other initiatives. I'm, we're pretty sure that's not going to happen. So, as part of our transportation plan now, uh, we're going to be able to do the bonding bill, which is necessary money for municipalities, snow removal, s- new schools affordable housing, get that uh, process back in play. If your transportation plan is not voted on by the end of the month, uh, the timing gets tighter once the session starts February 5th? As the legislative leadership. I, um, I think they'd like to get it done this month. I'd like to get it done this month. You know, we've put this off for about 15 years, Lucy. I mean, we can keep putting it off. That's what the state loves to do is put off decisions. I think it's time to make a decision. Governor Ned Lamont is my guest today. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nopithancher. We're going to shift away from transportation. We're going to talk about other issues before lawmakers. And that's when you can join in as well. The number 888-720-9677 or find us on Twitter at where we live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. I've got a question for Connecticut's governor. Ned Lamont is my in-studio guest. Here's the number to call, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I wanted to fit in some listener calls now. Courtney is calling from West Hartford. Courtney, you're on the show. Thank you. Good morning. Hey, Courtney. Uh, I've got a question for you that uh, I think has been raised before. Uh, Connecticut is one of the wealthiest states in the country uh, and also, unfortunately, uh, has one of the greatest income inequality gaps 
uh, in the country. Uh, according to the Institute of Taxation and Economic Policy, we're also the 29th most unfair state and local tax system in the country. Uh, the lowest 20% pay a rate of overall rate of 11.5%, whereas the top 1% pay just 8.1%. Finally, Forbes reports we have 17 billionaires in the country, in the, in the state, and uh, a 2018 report said nearly 11,000 households have in, annual incomes of $1 million or more. So why, Governor, you resist the idea of raising hundreds of millions of dollars by increasing the marginal tax rate on the wealthiest 1% in our state? We could afford it. It's not going to hurt our cost of living, uh, and it will uh, provide income in a way that does not affect, as the tolls would, a lower-income residents as well. Thank you, Courtney, for your question. Governor Lamont. Uh, in part, because I don't think it's going to raise any more money. Uh, right now, our income tax is 40% more than it is in neighboring uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts is growing, and Connecticut is not growing. We no longer have the same competitive advantage we had compared to even Rhode Island and uh, New York, uh, not to mention, um, you know, Florida and other places. So I am very conscious of um, how much you can keep raising that incremental rate. As you know, we've raised it four times in the last uh, last 15 years. So you're absolutely right. I, um, I held the line on tax rates, but I'm very conscious of what's going on in terms of income disparity in this state. And, I, and, and to your point about property tax. So, um, you know, I ran against somebody who wanted to eliminate the income tax. And what that would have done was um, pushed all those costs onto our towns and municipalities. And I did not let that happen. What I did do was I fully funded education plus some, especially for those uh, kids in schools that are most at need. I'm working like heck to make sure we get the business community there into those um, uh, Votech high schools, into the community colleges. We're working hard to make community college free. We just eliminated tuition for folks at UConn who's uh, uh, earning less than $50,000 a year, their family. So I'm doing everything I can to get the escalator of opportunity going and what I can to uh, make sure we have uh, um, opportunities for each and every one of these kids. Uh, and it's a unique time in the state. And we have thousands of jobs we can't fill. So I, I feel very passionate that a uh, shame on me that if I don't make sure that each and every one of those kids who are getting left behind doesn't have the skills and the social support they need to take those jobs. You said that you're very uh, conscious about income inequality in the state. Uh, you come from a part of the state. Fairfield County has the largest wealth disparity in the country. So how do you fix some of that disparity, if not uh, taxing uh, the, the wealthy um, and not focusing on regressive taxes like increases on certain sales tax items? And people do see tolls, user fees as regressive as well. Again, I think investing in young people, investing in education, investing in uh, those opportunities. And the flip side of that on our seniors, you know, we've eliminated or the uh, income tax has been eliminated for Social Security up to people earning $100,000. we have done a lot for our first responders, trying to make it easier and more affordable for them to stay in the state of Connecticut as well. Look, we have a long history. We've raised taxes, you know, every year for um, many years. And in many of those years, we're not taking in any more revenue, Lucy. We're taking in less because 
for every cause, there's an effect and some people leave. Uh, you talked about uh, the, the, the tax hikes that uh, came online uh, with previous governors. Uh, something that uh, was not in place uh, under Governor Malloy is that rainy day fund is now at $2.5 billion. Uh, Kathy from Facebook wants to know um, about the impact of proposed rescissions announced yesterday on the social services safety net in the state, especially in light of changes happening at the federal level to programs like SNAP. Um, when the session starts, you also have to deal with the budget. And so in terms of cuts to social services over the years, uh, why are you also proposing uh, rescissions if the rainy day fund is at a, at a good place? Well, um, there's a lot in there to unravel. Um, first of all, you should be really happy that Connecticut has saved a rainy day fund for that time where we have a recession and there will be a recession. And when we have that recession, um, I don't have to cut services for the most vulnerable or raise a lot of taxes uh, because we've got um, – we will have $3 billion set aside to take care of all but the most you know, dire of recessions uh, going forward. Um, so I, I, you're right. There's been a lot of people wanting me to take money from the rainy day fund to do transportation, take money from the rainy day fund to pay for this or that. And I am holding the line. And uh, by the end of um, you know, this calendar year, I think we'll be at a point where we have a rainy day fund that is uh, self-sufficient or what we had anticipated we ought to be doing. But let's go and, back. And, and for the not-for-profits, let me just tell you, I, look, I've cut no not-for-profits. Um, I've asked Melissa, you know, we have a one-seventh of one percent, um, you know, shortfall, um, which is complicated. We actually are generating $300 million in cash flow. It's going to go to the rainy day fund. But we have um, some in our operating uh, budget. And we're going to do that out of overhead. We're going to do that out of uh, hiring. We're going to do that out of attrition. Um, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that we hold our not-for-profits harmless. They provide amazing service with heart and efficiency. But they've been cut uh, significantly time and time again as the not state. Not by me. Not by you, but they've been cut. And so in terms of helping them make themselves whole, providing very necessary services to residents around the state. I mean, how can you help these social service uh, programs that have been cut significantly? Well, first by uh, doing no harm. And um, uh, like I said, I held education harmless and I held our not-for-profits harmless. And now with our bonding agenda, there'll be a little bit of extra money there that I can use to support the uh, not-for-profits. And once we get our rainy day fund where it ought to be so we can weather the recession, not-for-profits are going to be a real priority for me. But when people think about the taxes they pay in the state, and again, there's a tension on uh, the high amount of taxes, a part of that is quality of life. And part of that is expecting the government to pay for social services and not expecting uh, small organizations and nonprofits to do the bulk of the work with very little resources from the state. And so again, how do you make that whole when they have been cut significantly over the years? Uh, we've continued to make our investments in the social services. Um, and, and we will um, make that a priority going forward. Uh, but I'm not going to take money from the rainy day fund. I, I know that's um, uh, uh, you know, an easy thing to do. Remember what happened in 2008 and 9. Remember um, how scary that was in the state. Uh, remind the not-for-profits what happened to their budgets right when the demand was the most severe. 
I'm saving that money to make sure that we're able to hold them whole in a recession, not just in good times. You're listening to Where We Live with Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. And before I take some more calls, I did want to ask you about affordable housing. This was a big priority of former Governor uh, Daniel Malloy uh, under during his time. 22,000 affordable units created in the state. Chronic veteran homelessness was ended. Uh, many billions of dollars investments in, in housing since 2011. But We've had uh, Jackie Rabe Thomas on our show, uh, who is a great reporter with the Connecticut Mirror, did an investigation uh, with ProPublica on housing segregation in Connecticut and the fact that black and Hispanic residents live in some of the most segregated neighborhoods in the country. Um, Again, she's reported on the fact that many wealthy Fairfield County towns are using zoning rules to prevent affordable housing from being built in their towns. She did reach out to you and to uh, other state officials. There was no comment from your office. So I want to know how you're going to encourage wealthy towns to stop using zoning to keep people, certain people out of their communities, to keep segregation afloat. Uh, First of all, we are um, maintaining our commitment to affordable housing and a little credit where credit's due. Dan Malloy made that a priority and created um, more affordable housing units than everybody combined who are his predecessors. And you look at homelessness, you look at what's going on in other states around the country, and uh, we're going to make sure that we keep that commitment going forward. We did hundreds of millions of dollars for affordable housing in our last bonding agenda, and we'll be doing that going forward. You want to know what my priorities are? It, it ties back to transportation, Lucy. And I want to see downtowns in our suburban as well as our urban areas with transit-oriented development that includes affordable housing so that young people and working families don't necessarily feel like they have to have a car. They can get to work by walking. They can get to work by bike. They can get to work by rail or bus. And we build, rebuild our downtowns. And I really think that a housing is going to be a big piece of bringing our cities back to life. You want to know one reason we're having a hard time holding some millennials, you read those numbers, is because um, – you know, many of them go to Boston or New York. That's where the draw is right now. But Stanford and New Haven and South Norwalk and Hartford, we're beginning to get these cities back to life. And that includes a mix of affordable housing and the market rate housing. But going back to my original question, uh, what can you do as the governor of the state of Connecticut, a state that has huge wealth disparities, when you know there are wealthy towns, specifically in Fairfield County, using zoning rules to prevent affordable housing in their towns? How do you find a solution to that? Do you feel like it is your By arguing to them loud and clear that your city is your town, your suburban town, your village uh, will attract young people and be more vibrant if you have affordable housing, especially in the downtown areas near where you have transportation. You want to know what our towns are doing well? Downtowns are doing well. Uh, You know, downtown Stanford, South Norwalk, those places are growing fast. And affordable housing is a big piece of what we're trying to accomplish. But you said arguing with them uh, to get the point across, but that doesn't seem to be causing uh, any uh, uh, solutions to be found because they continue to, again, stay, these towns have their autonomy to do what they want. But it, again, it exacerbates segregation. What you want to do is have affordable housing for people uh, where they can afford to live and where they have easy access to transportation. And I'm not ducking it. I mean, that can be in a suburban town as well as a city. But to me, it's part of that overall web. 
We're going to take a quick break. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, Governor Ned Lamont in our studio. When we come back from the break, we're going to take uh, more of your calls. And also we're on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, in studio today is Governor Ned Lamont. You can join our conversation. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Uh, Steve's calling from Wyndham. Steve, we've got under 10 minutes. Uh, quickly, what is your question for Governor Lamont? Hi, Governor. Uh, I want to uh, ask about manufacturing in Connecticut. I went back to school at uh, Manchester Community College, and I got hired by Pratt & Whitney. Uh, we, we make the F-35 uh, engine, probably the most advanced engine on the on, in, in the military on the planet Earth, the uh, GTS engine. Uh, I, I like to call it the green turbo fan because it's it's really uh, significantly cut greenhouse gases. But um, uh, the, we're still recruiting. We, we we just in my little area of the world, we just got four people from the pipeline. And uh, if you look across manufacturing in Connecticut. We're really in need of uh, young people to get involved. Um, how's that coming along on your side? It is an absolute priority for us, Steve. Um, now, as you point out, we make the most sophisticated engine in the world. You're making the F-35. Look what we do in submarines. Look what we do in choppers. And uh, there is uh, a desperate need for the right type of talent. So um, we are uh, from the L.A.T. Grasso Votech School. Um, all the way to our community colleges, to Colin Cooper, who's our now czar of manufacturing. He comes out of a manufacturing company. We are working with all those manufacturers right now, seeing what is the talent they're going to need over the next three, five, ten years, and then working with um, our community colleges and our tech high schools to make sure we're training people for them. I'm not going to let this opportunity slip. We got the best workforce in the world. I got to keep them that way. Matt's calling from New Britain. Matt, you're on the show. Quickly. Good morning, Governor. Hey, I'm not sure that I can ever vote for you again because you and your staff have utterly ignored higher education professionals who have repeatedly told you that the Board of Regents is a boondoggle, a gigantic waste of money, and that it's going to hurt higher education, not help it. All right, well, I, oh, I'm not quite sure um, where that's from. I, I, I taught at CCSU, but my hunch is Matt is referring to uh, Marco Jakin's um, plan to share more of the back office services as a way to um, hold down costs across all of our community colleges and um, uh, without giving up the identity of those community colleges. And that's the balance, Lucy, that um, I don't think we have right. But I share the effort to share those back office costs. I've tried to do that um, with our towns and municipalities as well. If you want to hold down costs, does everybody need their own superintendent? You all have to go out and buy your IT by yourself. I think it's a lot easier if we can do that on a collaborative basis. And I think that's what Mark's trying to do. Uh, Lillian writes on Facebook. Uh, she wants your response to the fact that faculty and staff across the, uh, again, uh, Connecticut State uh, College and University system, they have a loss of confidence in Marco Jakian and the students first plan to consolidate the community colleges. Uh, they don't feel like they're being heard uh, with their concerns. I mean, how do you address that? Let's get together at CCSU. I'll do that with Mark and uh, a few other folks. And, uh, you know, we talked this through. But I've got to do everything I can to give the taxpayers confidence that every dollar they're investing is a dollar that's being well spent. We do have an awful lot of overhead. And I want to make sure that we do that 
streamline that without giving up the identity of our community colleges. Uh, earlier, you talked about uh, the importance of uh, making sure that there are enough resources for uh, public schools. And I wanted to talk uh, quickly about this Dalio uh, partnership uh, between the uh, Dalio Philanthropies, which is the hedge fund uh, Ray Dalio's group, uh, partnering with the state uh, to, pro, I guess, uh, put in $100 million, wanting the state to put in another $100 million, hoping that philanthropy will put in another Hundred million, so a total for three hundred million. But really, that's a, a drop in the bucket when you look at a, a, a state system that uh, funds education at a tune of eleven billion dollars. So, can you talk about you know what your aim is uh, with getting uh, this uh, partnership uh, going, and uh, why did you agree to have uh, this partnership uh, meet uh, behind uh, closed doors, so to speak? That's to nonsense. Not we our last meeting was one hundred percent behind public um, in public view. But it started, but it started where you. Um, Every Every single decision we're going to make is going to be able to yeah. – uh, you'll be mm -hmm. able to opine up. But pull back a little bit. Well, these are yeah. – mm -hmm. I'm doing everything I can to take – make sure we invest in our kids. These are public school kids who are being left behind, disconnected and disadvantaged kids. And uh, I say uh, welcome. If these folks want to come in and give us $100 million and I got uh, Themis and Len and Marty and um, Joe, the le legislative leadership is there making these determinations, um, I'm going to do everything I can to make this work. I mean, to me, no good deed goes unpunished. Uh, and Governor, if we want to have a battle about it, they'll probably put their money somewhere else. Governor, you said that was nonsense, but you and the legislature approved a request for this partnership, this board to be exempt from FOIA laws that you'd be able to meet in private session. So how is that nonsense. You did have a meeting in public, but are you also meeting an executive session? Like every other not-for-profit, when you're doing salaries, when you're doing um, you know executive recruitment, that is. Am I subject to FOIA? Absolutely. Is Themis and uh, Joe and all the public officials, uh, can they read everybody's emails? Absolutely. Believe me, I know our, our uh, you know, our, our attorney has it's become a FOIA factory there. That's what you do. But I want to do everything I can to encourage the private sector to get involved. We had public meeting, doing everything I can to keep these meetings public. Every single decision we make will have to be justified in public why we did it and how we did it. And don't take your eye off the ball. This is going to – you say it's a drop in the bucket, but it could be hundreds of millions of dollars we don't otherwise get to empower teachers to take care of kids who are being left behind. Uh, $100 million of public money as well as $100 million from the Dalio Philanthropies. So again, uh, people have been critical of the fact that uh, this board, at least the board members who are not you and some of the legislator, legislators, can meet behind closed doors when you're talking about $100 million of public money part of this partnership. Again, our meeting, 100 spent in public, every decision we make in public, vote in public, justify our decision in public. Um, but – if you want to discourage people from operating in public-private partnerships like this, uh, they can go elsewhere. I'm trying to make this work because I think it makes a real difference for kids who are being left behind. I haven't heard much from your administration about how you're going to help uh, children within the juvenile justice system. Uh, under Malloy, the Connecticut Juvenile Training School has closed. Um, there have been efforts to try to get a smaller facility, a secure facility to be open in neighborhoods. No one has come forth, and now I'm hearing that there are young people that are stuck in these uh, short-term de detention centers because there's nowhere for them to go. What are you going to do to solve that, Governor? What we have done is we're doing everything we can, especially for the juveniles, 
hopefully they don't have to be incarcerated unless they're the most dangerous. We get them in the community settings. We get them the social service support they need. We give them educational efforts. You go to the um, uh, I was just down in Cheshire a few months ago. You see what we're doing there in terms of giving folks a second chance in terms of real criminal justice reform. But you're right. They shut down the juvenile detention facility, moved everything over to the um, judiciary, and we're trying to find a better solution for these kids, probably not behind bars, some closely supervised community setting. Uh, we're almost out of time, but I do want to ask you, is this session that begins February 5th, is this the year that Connecticut is going to approve sports betting? I hope so. Look, um, all of our neighbors are doing it. I don't think it's the future of the world, but um, we're working closely with uh, the tribes. Uh, it could be uh, important centers of entertainment in a lot of our uh, major cities probably located. Uh, it requires some compromise, and we're working on that very hard. It's been stuck in the legal mud for years. I want to get it moving. And uh, getting the tribes uh, to be on board with this. Uh, you were close, I believe, according to the Associated Press, reading your emails. Uh, but it didn't happen uh, last year. Uh, the tribes, again, uh, have uh, uh, the revenue-generating agreement with Connecticut. Uh, can you make it work without them? No. We've worked with the tribes for 30 years. We have a compact and a covenant with them. Uh, I honor that relationship, and I want to do something that works uh, with the tribes and gets um, sports betting um, on the table. Also, uh, we're hearing from listeners who want to know if your administration will legalize and tax recreational marijuana. Where do you stand? I stand on the fact that I think it's absurd that um, Massachusetts has legalized marijuana. We have thousands of people driving up there. We, we haven't outlawed vaping uh, as yet, and uh, we, they have thousands of people coming here. Rhode Island and New York are probably going to legalize it. Is it a big priority for me? No. But the idea that we'd be one little isolated um, entity and uh, handing that market over to the black market doesn't make sense to me. Looks like we're going to have to leave it there. I want to thank Governor Ned Lamont for coming on the show. The time always goes too fast. We hope to have you back soon. My pleasure. Thanks, everybody. Uh, today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Thanks to Robin Doyne Aiken on the phones. Also, special thanks to Katie Tolarski, Kion Wolf, Megan Boone, Tyler Russell, and Sam Hockaday. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.